and we'll stop doing good your well. We'll start just gluing stuff together, make as much profit as possible. That's all we care about. Looking at you, Warren Buffett. You did it. Dexter. It fucked the whole thing up. It ruined the whole the whole thing. Now, building that back up, it needs that pressure of people demanding high quality. You need that. I don't think it's a bubble. I think we're still building back to where the footwear market was 50 years ago. We're still way short of it. I think there's still a lot of growth to be had. And it's a lot of like reprogramming people into understanding and appreciating this this kind of footwear. Shoecast! That's right. This here is the Stitch Down Shoecast, where we talk quality footwear, how it's made, and all the things we love about it. I'm Ben from Stitchdown.com. The one and only Ticho Blanco is here, and we've got another relentlessly nourishing shoe bag episode for you, in which we take all sorts of brilliant, probing listener questions and provide highly unsatisfying but occasionally entertaining answers. But before we get bagging, we need to give a special shoe cash shout out to our sponsor this week, Standard and Strange. They have the boots, and you should check them out at standardandstrange.com. Also, boot camp. We're putting together a legitimate World's Fair of Boots and Shoes this October 6th and 7th in Brooklyn, New York. It's going to be the epicenter of the footwear-loving community for two days, and we'd absolutely love to see you there. Tickets are on sale now at stitchdownbootcamp.com. Save 10 bucks with code SHOECAST. Ticho, what's up, my friend? You've been doing boot stuff like halfway around the world. I've missed you dearly. What's up, buddy? Uh, it's good to see you. I'm here in my basement. Uh, I got a lovely photo of a horse our friend Christian Daniel gave me when we were in Chicago for your uh, Down Palooza there. Remarkable. He knows like a lot about tequila, but I love this picture of a horse. It's one of the most thoughtful gifts anyone's ever given me. So thank you, Christian. What a gem of a human being that guy is. So I'm, I'm doing great. Good. Um, but I'm also wearing um, some Grand Stone loafers, bourbon suede, traveler pennies. Kind of just like wearing those all the time in the summer. It's super hot. It's super humid today. They're in the leave them by the front door slot for me right now. Yeah, I've been dipping back into the loafer loafer life again recently. It is hot. I thought it was summer for like a full month before it actually just turned summer uh, from when we're recording this a couple days ago. So I was like, ah, this is like a nice mild summer. But it wasn't summer. No. The loafers have been back at it harder. I'm wearing uh, my Russell Moccasin single vamp with a molded sole uh, Huron uh, Oxfords. Yeah, I love these things. The ankle's breathing, you know. I don't know. As I age, I'm, I'm starting to realize the benefits of that. I used to be like, give me like a seven, eight inch boot all summer long because fuck it. But I don't know. We almost evolve, I guess. Or decay. Uh, great to have you back. Should we tear this bag open? Yeah. Let's start with the most shoebaggy question one could ever ask. Does anyone actually use shoe bags? <laughs> oh. That's from uh, our friend Right Stuff Brian. There's also a second question from a different listener. How do you balance dust versus mold versus sunlight when it comes to shoe bags? Ooh, interesting. And the first one, does anybody actually use them? Absolutely, I do. Mostly for travel. If I'm going to go somewhere, right? Like I, I just traveled. I went to China. I took six pairs of boots with me, maybe even more than that. Wrapped them up in, in the bags, right? For travel, they're nice and safe. They're nice and secure. Bag them up. They're bagged up. And then, yeah, you're going away for the weekend and you're like, well, I'm trying to fit like three or four pairs of boots in my suitcase, obviously for a two-day trip. I, I'm just going to shove a bunch of other stuff in the suitcase. You know, you need the bag to keep keep everything else from getting dirty, whatever. It's good to have the bags. Do the other thing. My So my wife is... um building a moss garden in our backyard. And so she's like collecting moss. I assume that that's legal. So we can say that mm. she uses my shoe bags and she fills them up with moss. She collects the moss and then she comes back and she puts in, you know, arranges it and it looks really nice. Got a bird bath. It's got river rocks. So that's a good use of the bags. The bags are handy for a lot of things. So people are using shoe bags. We've established that I'm with you travel only. Some people keep them in bags and then in the box, I mean, that's just mm. a remarkable level of commitment that I don't know. I'm not really well. I like to see them, you know, like that's pretty crucial for me. I can dust them off every once in a while because uh, obviously, you know, how do you balance dust versus mold versus sunlight when it comes to shoe bags uh, as part of this question? 
But that's, yeah, that's it for me. But if they're going in a suitcase, they're going in a bag. I don't care what it is. And then, like, I'll usually stick all my socks into the shoes because trees can yeah. can weigh them down. For, like, a really good pair, you keep the trees in. You just lug it around. You deal with it. But, yeah, that's it. As far as the dust versus mold versus sunlight portion here goes, I'm, I guess I'm not 100% sure what the balance is. I feel like the bags would keep away dust and sunlight and maybe the idea is that they're promoting mold maybe if you're like Mm. permanently storing in shoe bags i'm not sure yeah i think probably the idea there is yeah if you always have it just enclosed it's not getting any airflow and that's gonna lead to like mold in the shoe yeah for me i don't store them in the bags because i'm like you i'm very visual i need to see them i need them on a shelf i need them in a closet even available to be seen if they're in a bag i forget they exist I think I've developed object permanence. Like, I think I understand that concept. Figured it out probably when I was eight months old. A child psychologist can chime in on that. For some reason, yeah, I put it in a bag and it's just, it may as well not exist. So I, I feel like sunlight, don't, yeah, don't store them in, in the sun, right? That's why I keep them in a closet or basement or something like that. I have a dehumidifier running down here. So I think I keep it at like 35%, something like that. Ooh. That should prevent mold, I think. Things don't get moldy down here even though it's a basement. Definitely recommend that. That's just a general good tip. Have a dehumidifier in your basement at all times. Keeps the house better balanced. House cast. House cast. House bag. Attic fan as well. I believe I have one of those. The attic is terrifying. I should start taping in the attic. Ooh, maybe for Halloween we can go in the attic. Yeah, it's like a peaked roof Mm -hmm. and not a tall one. It's very easy to impale your head Mm. or anybody's head with the nails, with the roofing nails. Yeah. Yeah, we'll look into that for future episodes. All right, next question. Not a question. I love it when they boss us around. Definitive answers on how hand sewns should fit at first. At first. Okay. If it's something you're going to wear barefoot, which is how I like to wear hand sewns, that's the other pair I have sitting by the door is uh, some main mountain mock suede boat shoes from seven, eight years ago. And they're great. When I got them, it was like a snug, right? It's a nice snug fit. And then over time, like it's, it'll stretch, right? Because because of that moccasin construction, it's just, le- you know, it's pretty much all leather. It has more stretch to it. You can start them off, especially if you do something like Chrome XL, you know, something else that's going to stretch with you. Yeah, they should fit kind of snug and then they'll stretch out. They're one of the few things that I can, I do think that you need to start them off a little snug and then it, it'll, it'll work out for you. A lot of welted stuff, that's not the case, but hand zones for sure. Go, go a little snug. And, you know, I think it depends a bit, right, on on what kind. Although I feel like a camp mock, which is, you know, essentially a slip-on with kind of like a, a lace that does a whole lot of nothing. Maybe you want to size those or fit them slightly differently. I've never really had a pair. I've got a couple pair. I love camp mocks. So, yeah, I don't know how, like, how that affects anything. But I feel like, you know, the way, like, the enclosure of it is, like, a little beefier uh, in certain ways. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I love Camp Mox. I've got a couple from uh, from Oak Street that I really like. Nah, same deal, man. Because yeah, they there's it's like a loafer. There's no other way for it to get kind of held, hold onto your foot. That lace does literally nothing. It comes untied all the time. Yeah, it, it comes untied. It just I let it just flop around. That's just my my hand sewn vibe. It's just floppy laces. Even on the boat shoes, just totally untied. Just don't even try. Don't even try to tie them. Yeah, so you want you want to start it a little snug. You want to start a little snug on the camp mocks too. But like if you're trying to wear socks, right? Because you could keep wearing moccasins into the fall and in, in the spring. If you're trying to, you know, wear some socks, size them a little bigger. Easy. Yeah. And then maybe with a ranger mark or something, you can yeah. crank them on down. I feel like not on the episode uh, with Luke Colby from Russell Moccasin, we did not address something that I feel like we were talking about on the phone one day, which is at least for Russell's, he is not of the mind that you should squeeze yourself in, especially width-wise, to the point where even though the shoe can kind of do it and and do it in a comfortable way where you're standing, you know, kind of out over the edge of the shoe, he was saying like, you know, no, don't do that. And, you know, make sure that you kind of nail the, the width and length. But I feel like for a lot of them, some of the lighter weight stuff, like single vamp construction... I, I've never really found that it has any sort of you know performance or long-term durability, like negative effects if you do that. Because my Rancourt Ranger box, I'm definitely kind of 
flopping over in a way, but I don't know. They're comfortable. They're still in one piece. I've had them for like three years now. Yeah. I wonder if uh, the double vamp, triple vamp stuff on those Russells, it's not going to stretch out quite as much, quite as easily since there's so many layers of leather to break in. Um, I could see, yeah, and stuff like that needing to, you know, size a little room here, especially in width. Yeah. All right. Next question. Opinions on Chucka boots. Mm, generally not a fan. Pick a side. Be a boot or a shoe. Don't try to be in the middle. None? Have you ever had a pair that you liked? I've had pairs. I've had pairs. Yeah, nothing that I really loved. I was like a, you know, original, you know, old school Reddit male fashion advice, right? Where it was like, just get the Clark's Desert boots. You had to do that if you wanted to survive. As a man in 2011, I bought them and was like, wish these were one or the other. What are they? I either want to wear a shoe or I want to wear a boot. I don't really want to wear something that's neither of those things. Pick a side. Pick a side, Chucka boots. See, I never want to pick the side. I almost exclusively wear boot shoes, especially once it gets warm out, in whatever form that may be. And often they're more shoe-like, but a boot kind of under the skin. But yeah, I mean, for me, chukka boots are, are right there. Like one of my early pairs was the Red Wing work chukkas or whatever they call them. Little like two eyelet guys, I think. Wore the hell out of them at a time when I'm like, if you just keep wearing these boots, especially Red Wings, like then they become comfortable. The last like didn't work and I'm sliding around and up. And um, now my brother-in-law has them and he loves them and they fit him great. Yeah, there were those. I was like hell bent on getting some Alden chuckas. And I think I spent like an hour in the Alden Madison store in New York one time and the guys were just getting sick of me. I'm like, I don't know. This thing's like rubbing on me a little bit and that laden last, which turned out just didn't work. I'm like, that's going to go. Like, I don't, we don't know. We can't tell you that like the seam rubbing on your foot is going to stop rubbing. It didn't end up working out, but I've always loved those. I have my Lofgren chuckas, which are kind of like a supercharged Clark's Desert boot and Goodyear welted and like feel really sturdy. I love those. Wear them a bunch during the summer. The fancier chuckas, out. Kind of dress chuckas, pointy, you know, even some of the clench stuff that people like. And I'm like, I wish I could pull that off. Kind of like the taller old school, almost a boot type chuckas. I can't do, but I get the appeal. I'm a fan. I think that like, yeah, the Clarks are Reddit and humanity has evolved a bit since like you needed to have a pair of those. I think that there's like other similar ish options. I have a pair of the uh, Billy Tannery X Jad chuckas, which are like kind of the same as, as those just much better lined deerskin suede those are fun to just like pop on and have a kid uh throw water balloons at your feet all summer long i'm, I'm fully in on chuckle boots i can't believe how many freaking chuckle boots you own man that's wild there's more i do i have a pair one of my oldest pairs before i was into this sebago chuckas on a crepe sole still have them were you wearing grandstone chuckas the other night i was wearing grandstone chuckas the other night <laughs> I was like, wait, I just saw you. Yeah, you were wearing checkers. I was not the only one. Dan, you know, we're not going to dox him, but Dan, he also had a pair. I don't know. CXL, like brown CXL. His look good. Those ones, they did look pretty good. But those, it's, is it a three eye? How many eyes? Yeah, it's three eye. It's three. From the top, it looks kind of like a blucher. Mm. Interesting design on those. It's like more of like make up your mind, half shoe, half boot than any other. When you look down at it, it looks very, very much like a shoe, which is kind of cool. But then it's like big, you know, the crepe sole that they have on those is kind of like the thickest and the bounciest and heavier weight to the shoe, especially Goodyear welted. But, um, you know, kind of my favorite, I would say, of all the uh, crepe chukka soles. Anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm not stopping. I'm not planning on stopping anytime soon. Yeah. The original boot shoe for me, it's always, always been a part of me. That's wild, buddy. Well, I'm pretty out on them, so you can handle the chuckas, and I'll I'll stick with shoes or boots. Pick a side. No. All right. Okay. All right. This one I kind of love. I love them all. These are all the best questions, but this one too fits our vibe. How do you generate interest in quality footwear without nerding out too hard in parentheses metaphysical? Mm. So good. Yeah. Well, I definitely understand metaphysics at a deep level now i understand this question though people learn that you're the boot guy right in the neighborhood in town i've tried to hide it i don't shoot photos and stuff like that in town but people know you can't nerd out too much right because you scare people 
if you just start rattling off all the uh, and it's like, no, you got to just like have have a casual plan of attack, which is mostly just like, well, they're resolable. You can resole these things. They last longer. Labor is generally more skilled, compensated better. It's better for the environment, stuff like that. Those are usually some key key ones I hit for just people who are like, whoa, why should I spend $300 on on loafers? You know, uh, why are your loafers superior to my, you know, things I got at Hey Dudes or whatever, you know, the old Nickelodeon show. Uh, dude, you're so old. I don't even know what that show is. Uh, I didn't have cable until I was like in high school. A little gray over here. You were probably already an adult by the time I, I even had cable. So you don't know about salute your shorts. No. Camp on a wanna. We hold you in. No? I did recently have lunch at the Nickelodeon cafeteria in New York. Blew my kid's mind. And uh, shout out to, uh, I won't dox him, but one of one of our homies who uh, has excellent, excellent taste and also works at Nickelodeon. So that was pretty tight. My kids are still talking about it. <laughs> it's just a normal corporate, corporate cafeteria. It's not like SpongeBob was like popping up to like serve you. It was just like, it was like corporate cafeteria in New York. That's it. Where people were just saluting each other's shorts. It explains why they were doing that. Now yeah. I know. Now I understand. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering about the short saluting. Um, back to the question at hand. Ooh. Yeah, generating interest in quality footwear without nerding out too hard. I feel like there is a, a danger in kind of coming on too strong, right? When you start helping people understand the world of footwear that exists out there that they're on the verge of touching with just you know the right next move this is interesting one to kind of break down a little bit the idea of resolability i don't know if it's because everybody we hang out with like has too many boots and none of them ever get resold unless they want to do something cool with them but that that was like the initial pitch for me right like last pair you ever need just go get them right now Find a good cobbler. Check out our cobbler guide uh, on sishon.com, by the way. It's growing. They're all very good. Yeah. As far as my like overall pitch, I feel like that's kind of waned and maybe people are even like talking about it a little less in, in lieu of other things when that was kind of early on when all this stuff started to catch, like one of the easiest things to understand. I feel like even from a marketing perspective, it's not really something that like brands are pushing as much. I feel like it's just a good analog for these are better quality that they've been made in a way that you can right. restruct, you know, you can resole them. They're worth resoling. People get it. I mean, people, once you start wearing better stuff, people do get it. I've turned tons of people onto it who have had no idea, you know, family members, friends, whatever. And they're always just like, yeah, it's more pleasant to just be wearing these nice boots, right? It's just, you're just living a better life. You get to do it every day. It's a hobby. You get to do every day. You have to wear Shoes. If you leave your house, you're wearing shoes. You may as well enjoy it. You may as well have some cool shoes that you really like. Got my brother-in-law into it. He's like, first first pair I got him, all the indies. And he was like, oh, I get it. He's a teacher. He's on his feet all day. He's like, yeah, I'm just more comfortable. Like, my knees feel better. My back feels better. I'm wearing these really comfortable shoes that fit me really well. He's like, I also just kind of like, they're just cool. Like, I just kind of like, hey, no matter what's going on, at least I got to, I get to wear these cool boots every day. Make me happy. And you could be in a dark, dark place and still look down at your feet and be like, hmm, all right, nice. Well, how dark, though? Light enough that you can see your own feet, I suppose. Right. They're not, like, stuck in a cave. If you're stuck in a cave... You probably want some good boots. You definitely want some good boots. Yeah. But maybe you can't see them because you're, you're stuck. That actually is, like, a real big fear of me. I hate those, uh, those videos where it's, like, a guy set up his little phone or something and then he's just crawling through i'm not a spelunker i don't like heights either but i don't want to be in a cave can't remember ever encountering one of those videos ever in my life maybe you know stop googling it yeah we're on a different algorithm since yeah. you you know old nickelodeon stuff and then i know like much later nickelodeon stuff i guess and like all the new cave video shit i yeah. get different my algorithm it's cave videos and then videos of guys doing where they they knock on somebody's door and they were like, hey, your lawn looks terrible. I'm a landscaper. I'm just going to clean it up for you. And then here's a video, uh, like a TikTok where I'm just doing it, right? Landscaping it, like weed whacking, all that kind of stuff. And then and power washing, a lot of power washing. Uh, I love those videos. I'll watch those videos every single time. And then the people come out and they're like, ooh, yeah, sorry, our thing looks so bad. And the guy's like, you don't even have to pay me. I'm just doing this for TikTok. It's my dream to to have my house look so bad that one of those guys shows up. 
be amazing. Back to the original question. One of the things these days, you know, with people coming to me, whether it's a friend's friend of a friend, somebody who finds out that you kind of talk about shoes all the time on Instagram, whatever. I feel like there is so much fantastic and very appealing and alluring just imagery of this stuff out there. And when you think about the timeline 10 years ago, six or seven or eight years ago, you kind of had to know and get this idea and start looking for it. And then you learn about the resolability and all that, which again is like a, a huge factor. Like I'm not discounting it in any way. There weren't all that many pictures, right? Like you think of the brands that didn't have an Instagram account five years ago. It's most of the important ones. People with Instagram accounts kind of doing that, you know, a lot of it was on forums and you know, you kind of had to like go deeper and chug through a bunch of style forum pages with like just words until you got to cool pictures and they weren't very good. And now people can see it and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I want something because of the way that it looks. And there's no way that like a, a low quality piece of footwear from like a patterning perspective and, and just how it's all kind of put together is, is going to stack up. And they realize it, right? They realize something quite visceral that they're like, oh damn, that's good. Even though they're not sitting around studying all this stuff and like thinking about millimeters. From that perspective, it's actually quite good in terms of growing it as an interest area because it's like just so damn easy for like anybody to see something that like looks great and say, I'm interested in that. Now, what do I do? You know, or how do I get a cheaper version of it or whatever it might be? The nerd stuff can, can wait a little bit for most people, I think, as long as you point them in the right direction and kind of like start to pepper it in a little bit in terms of Especially like, well, why does something cost, you know, six, seven, eight hundred dollars? You you have to get a level of depth to that that the better and more naturally and easily you can convey it to them without like kind of scaring them off, right? Is important. And then once they get in them, if you size them right, like everybody loves this stuff. Right. It's also important that there I think are more brands that are accessible and easy to get into for total outsider beginner type people, right? Seven or eight years ago, if you were like, I'm just getting into this and I'm trying to spend like $300 on a pair of shoes, you might have to be like, okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to go on Instagram and you're going to DM an Indonesian guy. People are like, what are you talking? It's easy. No person is going from DSW. You got it. To DMing Prof Barnett's, right? It's just not happening, right? It's, that's too far of a jump. Now you could just go and be like... Go to grantstoneshoes.com. They'll have a million different sizes. They'll help you figure out the size and they'll show up at your house in like two days. And people are like, oh yeah, okay, I can figure that out. I think that stuff really helps get people into it. We need that, right? For the whole thing to keep going, we need just wave after wave of just new people to discover this type of footwear and go, oh, you know what? I get it. I understand why this is great. I understand why people should be wearing this style of, of, of shoe, this quality of shoe. I'm appreciating this leather, right? If we can't have these tanneries, right? The tanneries can't can't operate if people aren't buying shoes made from their leather, right? I, I appreciate all the brands that are that spend on marketing for this stuff, right? The amount of people who, you know, hit me up and are like, hey, I got some Thursdays, I got some tasks, I got something like that. Now I'm kind of looking for what else is out there, you know, because I got these, I liked them. I feel like if I spent twice as much, maybe I could get a different experience. And you just need those wave after wave of people kind of just going on that journey, rung after rung, because eventually some people will be like, you know what? I, I just I just want some like really niche $2,000 like made in Japan boots. People aren't just walking around DSW and the next day ordering those, you know? Like, you know what I was shocked to not find here at DSW? Clinch. Yeah. Clinch boots. It was like, <laughs> the supply chain is broken. Everything that you just said kind of leads into this next question, oh. which I put here intentionally, but worked out even better than expected. Is there a high quality footwear bubble? Are we close to it bursting? Seems as if there are so many out there of high quality that some rationalization is bound to occur at some point. I don't know. What do we think about that? I'm not sure that a bubble is the right way to describe what's going on, but the market is getting much more competitive. And that's, I think, good for, I mean, it's good for consumers, but it's good for the brands too, right? Because it keeps everybody pushing. It's keeping everybody trying to improve. That desire to improve things that is going to keep everything going up, right? The reason everything got super jacked up was because it went the other way in like the 80s, 90s, whatever, where companies were like, what if we made these as 
cheaply as possible. Let's try to just make these shoes as cheap as possible. You know, take our manufacturing from Maine or somewhere else in the U.S. and let's send it somewhere real cheap and we'll stop doing Goodyear Welt. We'll start just gluing stuff together. Let's just do that. Make as much profit as possible. That's all we care about. Looking at you, Warren Buffett. You did it. Dexter. It fucked the whole thing up. It ruined the whole the whole thing. Now, building that back up, it needs that pressure of people demanding high quality. You need that. I don't think it's a bubble. I think we're still building back to where the footwear market was 50 years ago. We're still way short of it. I think there's still a lot of growth to be had. And it's a lot of like reprogramming people into understanding and appreciating this this kind of footwear. Seems like it's going pretty well because there's more brands popping up. There's more people getting into it. I feel like we're not even halfway back up to where we were. Oh, God. I mean, yeah, from like the 60s, 70s. I mean, it was the only stuff available. The competition, especially within the US and UK, led to some level of price. I wasn't really around for it, but I imagine that that was happening. My concerns include everything just keeps getting more expensive in the last couple of years have really accelerated that. It's still, to me, very worth it, especially if you know exactly what you're looking for and something that's going to make you happy. And like, you know, if you wear it and you can afford it, then and it fits, it's going to be worth it. But as it creeps up, it's natural and essential, but like a little worrying from the entry level perspective to me, like there has been this growth of, you know, a thousand dollar plus like 15,000, $15,000 plus, we should get some of those $1,500 plus boots and shoes that really has happened in like the last two or three years, I think, as an enthusiast market has grown. And like a lot of this stuff is is very small production. But the problem with any business is that the way that you look at any of it is from a growth perspective, even if that's not your overriding goal. And like if you hire somebody at the beginning of the year because you forecast growth and then you know the bottom manages to fall out on that because there's only so much of a market for like a fifteen hundred or eighteen hundred dollar boot is that terrible. Now a lot of this stuff is often made to order and there's kind of lower risk in terms of creating a lot of product that you know doesn't end up selling or you have to discount or like whatever that might look like. I'm not seeing this happening at all. Like all of it continues to grow and sell and like that's wonderful and i love that there's a market for all this stuff but you know long term how do we you know as a kind of people who care about this but really from a brand side you know like not get out over the skis a little bit and think that there's like an unlimited market for quite expensive footwear i think that that's part of the trick here right to a certain extent right you look at the footwear market as a whole and you look at the amount of people who spend $1,000 on like, yeah, limited edition sneakers and just like luxury stuff, right? The amount of people you see wearing like those Balenciaga $700 sock sneakers where you're like, okay, that's somebody who didn't spend $700 on a pair of Shell Aldens or something, right? How do you convert people from, you know, kind of luxury stuff where it's the quality isn't really what they think it is for the most part and try to care more about the stitch construction and the leather sourcing and that kind of stuff. The industry needs to be spending on marketing, right? Somebody needs to be marketing towards those luxury customers and saying, guess what? Like the ultimate luxury is actually having something that's made in really high quality materials and made with exquisite finishing, made ethically somewhere. I don't I don't know. Yeah, there is probably a, a cap on it somewhere, but I don't think we're anywhere close to reaching it. A lot of that is just going to be making that stuff accessible to people, making it easy for people to get into it, easy for people to understand where to spend their money, you know, understand what they're getting for a $1,000 hand-welted boot. That's not easy. That's kind of a hard job, which I, I guess that's kind of your job. So It might be my job. Yeah, that's tough. It's yeah. a tough job, dude. I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, overall, like things seem pretty solid right now. Amidst all the problems, and if you look at a couple of years ago, three years ago, I, w- I would have loved to have predicted the way things are right now, but probably wouldn't have. Great question. I don't know that that was a metaphysical question, but I think uh, an excellent one regardless. Let's take a break, and uh, we'll do more shoebagging. Nice. So Ticho, Jen shot me a text this morning, and it was just a picture of a, of a guillotine. Oh. Yeah. It was weird. I'd say he's coming for you this season. 
Oh, it was directed at, at me? Obviously. And it's time for Gen Facts. Oh, man. Oh, boy. He's a dangerous man. Jen works at Standard and Strange and is also a trickster extraordinaire. To that end, he's provided us with three facts, only one of which is actually true. I'll read all three, and at the end of the episode, it's your job to guess the true Gen fact. Ready? Uh, Gen fact number one. Former University of Miami and San Francisco 49ers running back Frank Gore earned the nickname Elastic in college because... Of both the flexibility that was a hallmark of his 16-year career and his love of Chelsea boots. Here to buy it. That's pretty good, man. Jet fact number two, the term gusset, which on boots can refer to a tongue that is attached high up the quarters for improved water resistance, was first used in the 13th century France to describe the armpit of a suit of armor. Mm, Does sound like a French word, so... Gousset. Hmm. Gen fact number three. The oldest known shoe last in existence, currently located in the British Museum, belonged to Vasco da Gama, who was obsessed with style and footwear and immediately had a pair of custom shoes made upon his arrival in India. Dope. Mm, I do love explorers. I do love explorers. You know, most of them were quite murderous, but interesting fellas, I will say. But it does make sense that it would end up in the British Museum. So that's, that tracks. Yeah, they stole everything. Yeah. What's a true gen fact? We don't know. But we'll find out at the end of the episode. Back to the shoe bag. All right, we're back. I like this one. They know how many seasons we've done. Oh. After nine seasons, lessons learned about buying slash trying new brands on the scene. And I feel like fewer bolder and, and more exploratory, if you will, about it uh, than you, dear Tijo. I love trying a new uh, a new brand because I understand enough about my feet. I understand enough about how I like things to fit. I'm willing to go for it. What are some, some lessons that I've learned? Always stay within the bounds of what the brand is kind of putting out there. If you're seeing a brand and they're putting out, it's like, oh, it's a bunch of nice work boots. It's a bunch of nice, you know, whatever. Don't go to them and say, make me some crazy new pattern. Oftentimes I start real simple. Flame Panda, right? I think I was one of his first two or three customers in the US and I just went to him and was like, boondocker. I don't know, this guy could do a lot of crazy stuff, but I don't really know what's going to happen here. Let's keep it real simple. Boondocker, guy nails it, right? And then you're like, oh, sweet. This guy could actually do a lot of different stuff really, really well. Uh, But he nailed a boondocker. It's so simple, right, that the execution of it is what's going to differentiate it from being good or bad. It's just, is this guy good? Yeah, he's really good. Or it's like, oh, you look at just something they're doing obviously really well. Oh, you're thinking about trying Grizzle Black slash Benzene. Chelsea, they're nailing the Chelsea's. Order a Chelsea from Dial in the fit. With like the Indonesian guys, some of the other guys, also start with like an inexpensive leather. My first pair from, from Benzene, I was like, dude, just do local Indonesian wax flesh, right? Paid $220 for those boots. Now I know how they fit. Now I know so much more. Now I can go and say, let's use some Horween wax flesh next time. Let's use some horse butt. Let's, you know, let's go for it. If you just jump in and be like, I just want some shell cordovan right off the bat, your expectations are going to be like super duper high. You should temper that a little bit, you know, temper that a little bit by just like, "Mm," just dip your toe in a little bit. You know, the best advice, go go find people who already own boots from that brand and hit them up. Somebody's posting on Instagram like, oh, I own boots from some random small brand. And you hit them up and say, hey, I really like your boots. Do you have any advice for ordering from them? What was that experience like? Most people help you out. I'll help you out. I, I do that all the time. Yeah. And you can usually figure that out. Just go see, see, go on their Instagram, right? And see who's tagging them in photos and then see, oh, do I have like people in common that I follow with this person. And most boot people are pretty friendly, pretty nice and want to talk about boots and then can be like, Oh, here's how it all went down. You know, and here's what you need to know. I feel like you're also a big believer in the truism. None of these things are going to get any cheaper. And in fact, will mm. continue to climb in price as time goes on. Yeah. hundred percent. I don't think any, uh, uh, I'm not like familiar with uh, every economist in the world, but I don't think there's any that are saying things are going to get cheaper. The best time to get an order in from somebody like Flame Panda was before anybody knew who the heck they were. I got my first pair 
cost me like under 500 bucks. I got them in like four weeks. Same for like Anderhood. You know, you used to be able to just kind of DM him and say, can I order that whatever? And he would be like, cool. Guys, stay, stay out in front of it. Once these guys blow up, you end up with this huge wait list, right? I think Flame Panda's like over 18 months or something like that. It's crazy. The one I would look at right now is Quan. I've, so I visited Quan when I was in China. I think his lead times are still pretty reasonable. His work is super good. Really, really good. And he was a super interesting guy who he did cook me wild birds with a shovel. I'll say that. I'll say that. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. His work is super good. And it's like in a year, if everybody slams that dude with orders, he doesn't have he's on the roof of a building with like a nice garden. He's growing grapes outside. He's got a bunch of stray cats. Great guy. You got to catch those guys kind of early. You got to catch them before they blow up and have people talking about them on on Reddit or talking about them on style forum, whatever. Catch them when they have a shorter wait list. To this end, very direct, specific question. Can you guys talk about custom craft handmade boots? And I know Dennis. I've talked with him a bunch. Um, love him as a guy. Don't have any of his his boots, but the approach that he takes to boot making is fabulous. But you have a pair. Yeah, I've got, I think, like the sixth pair that he ever made. Something like that. If you're getting in real early like that, yeah, you can. don't have to wait. You don't have to... I don't think he was even really fully selling them when 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 we started working on that. Yeah, he's really really good, man. He's super good. Our buddy Brandon, well, uh, semi docs. He's got he's got a pair that he's working on right now. It's like hand dyed some leather. Like he's getting like cool like German leather too, right? Like there's so much leather being made. I think in Germany that we don't really hear about. It kind of like doesn't make it out, or you need to speak German to get it. He obviously speaks German. He lives in Germany. He's getting a bunch of cool stuff. I really like what he's doing. He was super great to work with on those boots. Like, and he's just a dude that's passionate about this, right? He had a whole business where he's making really sick leather goods. I mean, like sick bags. I mean, I think he still does all that stuff, but he, was, he just got into it. it. was like, I love boots. Like this thing's so cool. He loves it so much. I have the skill set to just pivot into this and just jump right in and just immediately be very, very good at this. What an awesome guy. Every person I know who's ordered a pair has like loved working with him on it. And that's so important. Yeah, this is one dude doing it. You get to have like a real connection with him, real, you know, a real conversation. And like he keeps you updated and stuff like that. Yeah, he's definitely another one to go get in there before it's a two-year wait or however he decides to structure it, right? Because these guys, they don't always just take the wait list, right? Like uh, our homie Nathan Florsheim is just like, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna open the books periodically, take orders, gotta get in there. You got to be timely. You got to know what's going on. Or somebody like Lars, who's just like, I'm just going to make whatever and I'm going to put it on Instagram and do lotteries. That's how I like to do it. And that's what Underhood does now is he, he's just random lotteries. Just will randomly put up a post and be like, I have this leather and we'll do a lottery in the comments. Like, that's tough. It's tough to not be able to just go and say, I want to order this. But that's how it is for a lot of these guys. When they start getting a ton of attention, they don't want to deal with this huge long wait list. I think that's a real pain. It's not a great experience for customers where it's like, well, I, I wanted to buy something, but it's going to take two years. It's tough. And uh, at some point your wait list gets so long, people just kind of like bail on it because they're like, well, I might as well put my money in something that's going to come quicker than two years. But like, there's a reason the wait list is two years is because this is something unique and special and difficult to find and really desirable. Well put. I'm going to have to figure out how to put this one well, but I think I can. How do you feel about the Patina Thunderdome becoming a driver of consumerism? I feel like that's more of a question for you, homie. I like the Thunderdome. I think it's a fun idea. It's a fun concept. It's it's driving so much like community interaction. It's driving so much interest in this stuff. But yeah, there is the kind of subtext of you got to buy a new pair of boots every year to, to participate and you got to like, you know, I know people are putting a lot of thought into what pairs they order for already for next year, especially guys that are like, you know, have finished near the top or want to, you know, want to finish even higher. It's like a whole, what am I going to do? What leather am I going to do? You know, I think that stuff is fascinating. It's like that you could be covering this on ESPN.com. The betting people, they love betting on stuff. They do love betting. Uh, I'm not a betting guy. I don't like the, the bet on stuff. So I, I don't, that doesn't appeal to me, but like, couldn't you see like, yeah, what are the odds of certain leather or a certain boot, right? Like there's so many angles on it that you could gamble on the Thunderdome, which would probably make it even 
probably less ideal, I guess. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that, but you know, maybe if you could get like FanDuel or something to sponsor it, right? They give you like a a billion dollars. Okay, we could all bet on the Thunderdome, and um, that would be interesting. They DM me uh, a couple months ago, but I I didn't open it, so yeah. I'll look at the offer. Yeah, but what do you think, man? What? Uh, how do you feel about that? No, I mean, I love this question. I love contending with this question because it, it doesn't take somebody asking this question on this show for me to think about it. And here's the take. I think at the beginning of it, the first year, so this will be the third year starting in October, you know, runs through April 1st. But the first year, there were a lot of people. I mean, there were over 500 people that entered. But even amidst that group, I think that you had to be somebody who kind of already cared a lot about this and probably had some level of collection, I imagine, to even know about it, right? Especially in that instance, the goal was you know the opposite of consumerism, very explicitly. It was boots are being acquired and, and shoes, but you know it's largely boots in this contest, kind of given the nature of it. They're not being worn enough. You know, we mentioned the idea that the resolability drives people into the idea of this kind of footwear in the beginning. And then there's too many, and so they don't need to be resold. Well, what if we actually wore something, right? What if we stopped acquiring and wore and focused and saw what could become? Because there's cool results in terms of how they look and how they feel. And just like, I mean, six months of a boot, like that is a beautifully broken in piece of footwear that you're going to love wearing forever because it's just there, right? So I think, especially at the outset, it was to kind of counter the acquisition itch that begins to exist after you start to like just dig this stuff. As it grows, I feel like that lessens to an extent where there's more people coming in. There's people who are kind of newer to this as a hobby. And like to enter that kind of contest, you kind of have to view it that way, at least somewhat, like you have a high level of interest at least. And we make you do things. You got to take photos and submit them on time and you're involved and you're invested, but not necessarily people who, you know, have some huge collection. And we say, well, to enter, you know, you, you do need to get a new pair because of, frankly, I think, you know, pretty good reasons in terms of, well, where's your starting point and where's your end point? And we've we've been playing around with the idea, myself and uh, Tim, Title Town Goods, who is the driving force behind the, the Thunderdome even existing in the first place. You know, what would it look like if we had lightly loved, as it were, pairs in there? And I think from a lot of perspectives, it, it makes a ton of sense. But, you know, from a judging standpoint, uh, I mean, it complicates stuff a lot, especially when you're looking at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pairs going through every single picture is, is frankly difficult. Like I'm totally willing to admit that. So you look at the end result, right? And well, where did it start when they're new? You know, you kind of know, obviously, you know, as you start to winnow it down more and more is looked at and you go all the way back and you look at the transformation and you think about this particular leather and it's beyond just what catches your eye at first, but it's completely possible there'll be over a thousand entrants this year and see how many finish. I mean, it's it's a lot of work for for the judges to do. So there's that piece, which I think is crucial. And then, you know, I mean, just like thank you to every single sponsor that has ever provided prizes, which keep getting better and better for this contest. But, you know, can you pit new boots versus used boots? No, like not directly, I don't think. So there has to be another category, which requires more prizes. I, I talked with Tim about this for like two hours yesterday. Like there's a lot of reasons that I like it. And there are, you know, kind of like more boring, annoying, practical reasons that make you question whether it's the right idea, you know, right now, basically. So, you know, this whole endeavor has never been about buy, buy, buy. And like in this boot camp event, I don't think it'll be that, you know, day to day. You know, this podcast and, and what we do on the site and everywhere else. It's not that. The byproduct of it <laughs> is that you kind of end up wanting to buy stuff. But you know, one of the, the ways that I like to think about it is that we're not selling boots, we're selling understanding. And when you understand more, things start to make more sense and the price behind them starts to make more sense. And you see minute differences between Something that, you know, to an untrained eye looks like exactly the same pattern, but actually isn't because, you know, millimeters matter. All of that adds up to something that 
allows you to really find something that works for you and can become a part of your life and fits and, you know, all those things instead of like, I'm just acquiring to do it because I saw it and I don't really understand it. I mean, it's tough. Like, there's no question that it's a very difficult balance. The overarching goal of this is support this industry and individual brands that, you know, at times feels like it's it's not guaranteed. We've seen what's happened with, you know, footwear manufacturing in the US and the UK. And, you know, it's, it's fantastic to see it springing up in all different parts of the world and to see kind of revivals happening and in the places where there's been a drastic decline. Like, we, we do need to kind of come at Warren Buffett a little more often. I think I'm glad that, that you, you did that. Uh, maybe we should have them on the show. The way to support the industry is to have people buy boots and shoes, like good ones. There's no question about that. But how do you do that in a way that it's not just consumeristic and uh, I don't know if like Craven's the right word, but those purchases are being made for the wrong reasons. And I feel like they're more likely to stick and mean something if they're done for the right reasons. But at the end of the day, it's still, you know, for basically anybody in the world, an expensive borderline, in a lot of instances, luxury purchase. And yeah, I mean, it's like, it's often tough to square that, but I like believe most of the time we're approaching it correctly. And, you know, the Thunderdome needs to be a piece of that. And I think it just needs to continue to be evaluated because it's an easy trap to fall into. Done right. I feel good about it. Yeah, right on, man. Yeah, I think overall it's, it, it's, a, it's a positive. My favorite part of the Thunderdome is that it it gets more people into not just wearing really nice boots, but really caring about boot photography because that's like so key to the whole thing is like, you got to take really good photos, really got to show, show the boots. Like you can't just juice those, those photos either. Uh, I love that. And I love that. It's like driven a lot of people to get really, really good at, at boot photography. And I've gotten like a, a lot of inspiration from, from a lot of people who kind of got into it through the Thunderdome. That's pretty tight. I love that part. Yeah, we're promoting camera consumerism. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unexpected side effect. Selling, selling a lot of uh, Sony A7s and Fuji X-Series cameras. <laughs> Dude, I got the Fuji because you had it and Matt had it. I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Got to get it. Still got it. Yeah. Next question. What's the next big thing for Stitch Down? Other question. Tell us more about the upcoming boot camp event in NYC. Well, those are... In some ways, the same question. Yeah, we've spent, God, a year and a half at this point planning this boot camp event in October, October 6th and 7th, Industry City, Brooklyn, in New York. I think it's going to be really good. Um, It's kind of evolved naturally. I was talking to somebody this morning who actually from a tannery that that might participate in it. And like, so how did this come about? I was like, well, pre-COVID, I was thinking about putting something together and starting to talk to people and be like, what if we just threw like a huge sample sale somewhere or not quite as evolved of a vision of what a big, you know, kind of community based great footwear event looks like. And then COVID happened and, you know, you couldn't really do that. Over two years ago, right around when people started to be able to travel again, or really just even like hang out with each other in person and felt comfortable doing it, we were like, hey, come to New York. If you live in the city, basically, we got a bunch of stuff planned. We're going to go to Alden. We're going to design a makeup together. And you know, we're going to go to Francis Wapplinger's shop. And we're going to go to stores. And you know, we'll hang out. We'll eat, drink, whatever. And like three dozen people came close to it, like from all over the country. And they booked flights and it was just like, we're going to meet in the park. And then there were all these people. And we had a great time. And we branicked somebody in Union <laughs> Square who was just walking by. <laughs> and I uh, was wondering why we were carrying a shoe sizer, as she put it. So it was like, whoa, okay. You know, there's some magic to this. And kind of the refrain that I have is, you know, you put two, three dozen boot nerds in the same place, you know, who you met on the internet. What can go wrong? And the answer is somehow nothing, and it's wonderful. And so we've done that. We've done you know a bunch of like smaller events in New York. We did the Chicago trip with a similar number of people, and went to Horween and Ashland and Dashing Chicago, Tannery Row, and just you realize how much fun you can have with these people, even when Brandon, who you mentioned earlier, uh, <laughs> is trying to force a, a bottle of Malort on you in the bus at like nine forty-five in the morning. He was the only one who did it. He yeah. seemed to love it. He's, he's a tough guy. Yeah. 
about a year and a half ago, it's like, all right, well, what if we did this for real? You know, we're going to take our time with it and kind of put it together, right? Find a space, find some like, you know, an event production person or people who can do all of that a lot better than, you know, me, certainly. Yeah, just started talking to the people that, that run these brands saying, is this something that you think you'd be interested in? And early conversations went really well. And I was like, all right, let's do this. Let's book this space and, and let's start to pile it up. Yeah, it's still all coming together in, in some ways, but you know, we'll have somewhere between 15 and 20 brands and, and individual makers you know, from literally around the world and create this world's fair of boots and shoes and just have this heavy emphasis on the idea that, you know, we're not selling boots, we're selling understanding, activate that in the realest way possible. So, you know, one one of these other kind of group trips, this London, Northampton trip that we did at this point about a month ago, Crown Northampton, who makes, you know, these incredible Shell Cordovan and more sneakers um, that are just, you know, that are resolable and are built just remarkably. Um, they're coming out with this hand-welded line uh, that's kind of separate, not sneakers. They have a workshop in you know their, their kind of space and factory um, where these two guys, uh, Will and Lewis, have been training and making samples and just learning techniques from Chris, who runs Crown, um, who will also hopefully have on this season, who himself is an accomplished bespoke shoemaker. We like got to do it. And I put three you know stitches in a, in a hand-welt and hit myself in the face with the shoe and the last just kind of popped right off, you know, despite the the pain and injury and and shame of that. It was incredible just how much I learned doing that. And I've, I've seen the videos and I've talked to the people that do this and all this stuff clicked when I did that. So people will be able to do that after signing a waiver at this <laughs> event. That to me is incredibly exciting and the ability to meet the people who make these things and to to feel and touch and try on their product like sizing is going to be just a huge emphasis at this thing i think is something that can scale well especially when we have like 10,000 square feet put this thing really to the next level in terms of you know what we can do and be together as a community and to hang out with the people that create the stuff that we love is like it's a really special experience every time it happens like in a in a small setting for sure but something like this and then it'll be like a you know we'll have like parties like on site friday night and saturday night afterwards and you get to hang out with you know the, the people that maybe you ask them on instagram about this brand that you know you kind of cold dm them and you're like so tell me how they fit like you can talk to that person for real and get a little deeper on it but also the people that you know, run these brands and, and make these things. So yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be pretty darn cool. Viberg's having their sample sale, archive sale there, which is always just kind of a blast on its own. And, you know, like that draws people from all over the country uh, already. And then you put all the rest of this stuff together, the space we're having at Industry City. You know, there's like 20 like food establishments, two breweries uh, that we're partnering with, a distillery. We have a beer sponsor, uh, shout out Untitled Art and Isaac and Levi, um, who I've been in touch with for years and, and you too, Patrick, because they love boots. <laughs> They're like, Hey, can we do some stuff together? Yeah. We have a, a kind of a custom barrel aged stout that will be available. Like VIP tickets will get a bottle and, and people will be able to taste it. It's like 17% thought we were going to get like a 12er, but that's good too. You know, tread lightly. <laughs> I, I couldn't be more excited for it. And uh, yeah, thank you for the questions uh listeners and yeah i mean hope to see everybody in in october i think it's it's going to be something i can promise that yeah man i'm i'm stoked for it too i'm gonna to be there i'll be there with uh with my guy chang from iron boots usa we're gonna kind of lead the chinese delegation i suppose but you said it man it's like there's there's a real power in getting together with the people that are like the most into the same stuff you are like when you just get together with a group of people who all have the same hobby right it's like a whole different level of interaction it's like a whole different level of, of friendship because you there's no dead air right because you can always just like start talking about real nerdy boot stuff and like people will just be there for it and you're like there's nowhere else in the world where i could just be on a bus drinking beer and avoiding drinking whatever brandon was trying to give everybody look up malort face on like youtube or something it's a horrific herbaceous chicago liqueur i did eat the pastry thing that he brought. oh that was good kringle yeah. i think i think yeah that thing was good so who knows well, who knows what brandon's gonna bring to this but yeah you just kind of end up creating memories that 
These are insane memories. At that first New York one that you did, Wax Daddy taught me how to break in a door with a credit card because there weren't enough keys to the Airbnb that we all got. And so he was like, well, you could, there's two keys. So like you could have one key and then I'll just pop it. And I was like, what do you mean? You just got to pop it. And he goes, yeah, you just pop it. And they showed me how to do it. It was real easy. And I was like, no, I don't want the key, dude. I'm just going to be popping it all weekend. And now I know how to pop it. Now I know how to pop a door with a credit card. That's good. Thank you, Wax Daddy. What's going to happen at boot camp? What kind of crazy, crazy things will people get into? I have no idea. But if you're not there, you, you, you'll never know. So I'm going to be there. I'm looking forward to seeing you. Right on, dude. And everybody. All right. Last one. This is like a cheeky one, but I actually have an answer for it. Hmm. Or maybe it's just completely earnest. How many pairs until I love myself? Um, I feel like one pair, right? One pair. One. That's so the that, answer. If you're buying yourself one pair of nice shoes, that's displaying a lot of self, self-care self and self-love. I feel like it's impossible to buy even one pair and not love yourself. So if you're looking for, looking for a little love, you need a little self-care, yeah, buying yourself a nice pair of boots is a great way to do that so i must really love myself <laughs> i think you do i think you that's really never been in question it's one the answer is one and it's like it's the one you remember and it's the one that you know can can start something or it can be just the one that you do wear like hopefully every other day instead of every day and, you know give them some rest let them dry out and yeah i don't know that there's necessarily like huge diminishing returns after that because there is so much to learn and like really figure out what's for you it changes over time you know like it's very difficult to have this be a thing that you're just into for like a year and then you just go back to wearing garbage shoes so it's like kind of a lifetime investment and like taste change and styles change and like all that yeah i think it's that that first one is kind of always the biggest there's so much consideration put into it like or there's not and you just nail it and you love them and you kind of go from there yeah it's, it's not like exponential after that i don't think necessarily yeah that's probably true yeah so like you know enough with this consumerism uh all right let's call it right there and immediately reveal the true gen fact Ooh. To refresh, gen fact number one, Frank Elastic Gore was somehow the last good running back to come out of Miami. Mm. It's kind of true. Gen fact number two, your fully gusseted boots exist because of Knight's armpits. Gen fact number three, Vasco da Gama sailed with shoe lasts, should have been named Vasco de Johnza. What do you got? I mean, I feel like the real University of Miami running back of that era who would be nicknamed Elastic would be... Willis McGahee, because oh, I saw that guy's soon, knee go soon, backwards. It, it didn't work. I mean, he ended up having a good, pretty good career, but man, that was, uh, that was gnarly, dude. As a Bills fan, too soon. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, okay. Well, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna dis- to discount that. Uh, Vasco da Gama is a, an explorer I don't know as much about. I'm more of a, a like Pizarro kind of guy. So I'm just going to skip that. Oh, I'm a Magellan guy. He didn't even uh, complete that journey, by the way. It was his crew. He died on the way. He didn't make it. Magellan has great PR, though. I'll give Magellan that. The fact that people still talk about Magellan. Yeah, but he was a leader. They could have just revolted and sailed back or like they, they wanted to do it. They believed in, in the goal in the vision. I know, but like we don't know any of their names, right? The guy who his boss died and he was like, let's keep going. That's the guy I'm into. You know, and I don't know his name. We should talk about that guy more. Yeah, that guy is a real boss. Uh, so I'm going to say number two. That sounds that sounds real. I've been to I love the that like armor room at the at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's the best. It's so cool. It's always rad going in there. There's so much cool designs and stuff like that on those on that armor. And that makes sense. That makes sense that that's what a gusset is. It just makes sense. It sounds French. It sounds like it would be from the 13th century. I, it just sounds better than the other one. So that's what I'm going with, Jen. Let's give it a look. We got the, the Jen envelope right here. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see. Oh, man. You got it. Boom. It's the armpit gusset. Keep them coming, Jen. It actually, uh, when I didn't open this secret envelope earlier, I was thinking about this. Gussets, and I looked a little deeper into them. It's, you know. Like something in your pants that can like stretch more, obviously your armpit and your armor. It's actually like an interesting application. I don't know if it 100% fits linguistically to hmm. the big old 
tongue that comes all the way up, which is generally making a boot significantly less flexible and occasionally difficult to put on, especially at the beginning. But you are correct. Come at me, Jen. Season 10? Is it season 10? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm pretty sure it's nine, but... Is it nine? I don't think I've gotten one of these wrong in like two seasons, so... That's absolutely untrue. You get a lot of them wrong. We're coming up next year. It won't be this year, I'm pretty sure, but next year we'll have our 100th episode of this thing, which is pretty fucking wild. Damn. We should have Jen on. We got to have live Gen Facts with Jen. For 100? Yeah. Yeah, we got to have Yeah, 100's got to be a bit of a good old-fashioned throwdown. Yeah. All right, look, huge thanks to Standard and Strange for sponsoring this episode and the Stitch Down Patina Thunderdome, our yearly boot and shoe aging contest. It starts October 1st. Uh, get your pair to win prizes and far more importantly, glory. And just, you know, have fun. Head to stitchdownbootcamp.com and use code SHOECAST for $10 off any ticket for the biggest community plus bootmakers event anywhere in the world. There will be free beer and free coffee and, Ooh. you know, boots that are... are often discounted, which is great. And if you, if you get a pair at the boot camp event, you can wear it in the Thunderdome. We're extending the window until October 10th to account for that, hmm. which is, I think, good. But, you know, no pressure, no consumerism. <laughs> Ticho, good bagging, man. Good to see you. Always a pleasure, my friend. I drank fewer seltzers than I thought I would. Uh, that's it for this week. Take care of your shoes. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.